I had been asked and had wanted to do an episode on grief, loss, and healing for some time, but I couldn't think of how to lead into it to start it. Then very recently, a dear friend of mine passed away, and I was reminded firsthand the power that grief and loss can have over us. As a therapist, I've encountered many kinds of grief. I've gotten calls at the adolescent client I was going to see that day had just had a parent die. Many years ago, I worked with a woman who had lost a child in childbirth and was pregnant again. I've worked with teens whose parent has a rare illness, such as early onset dementia, where the parent is still living, but losing his or her memory and ultimately identity. There are many kinds of loss that can cause us deep suffering. The death of a loved one, the ending of a relationship, the loss of a job, and more. I've seen people who grieve the loss of a relationship as if it had been a person itself because their own identity had been so wrapped up in that connection with another person. There are many men who have killed themselves after losing a job. I say men in particular, not because there haven't been women who've done so as well, but because men are often over-identified in our culture by what they do not who they are. Just this week, the New York Times had an article, and the title was, quote, With his job gone, an auto worker wonders, what am I as a man? Unquote. This is much like women and girls have been often judged based on how they look instead of who they are and what they have to offer on the inside. If someone buys into the external measurements very deeply, and those external measurements are removed, or the person feels they've failed, they may feel an incredible sense of loss and devaluing. When I was in graduate school, so many students had jumped off the balconies and committed suicide in the NYU library that the school had to put up clear barriers to prevent it from happening anymore. I wonder how many of those students jumped because the reality and the pressures of attending a good school did not measure up with how they were supposed to feel about themselves and their futures. One of the questions I regularly get is what does one say to someone who has just experienced severe loss? I think the most important thing is not what you say or if you actually say too much of anything, it's being present with the person who is suffering. There are no magic words of consolation and more is not usually better in a circumstance like this. There is power and healing, however, in human presence. As we said in the Relationships podcast, the greatest gift you can give someone in a relationship, any kind of relationship, is being fully there, being present, being reassuring while someone cries, or otherwise lets out their feelings is validating. Many people are embarrassed to show deep emotion. So you're letting them know that it's perfectly okay to do so. Once the extreme wave of emotion passes and the person is capable of hearing you, you can respond to what they're saying or offer some reassurance or comfort. For example, people often are tortured by not having been actually there when their loved one passed, or by the knowledge 
that the last time they saw the deceased, they had an argument or some other conflict. No one event determines a relationship. You can remind the person of all the caring, positive interaction the deceased had with them. Also, you can remind someone that it's normal to hurt and to feel guilty or down in this situation, and that one day they will be able to remember the joyous times they had with that person. When someone is in the throes of grief, it's too early for them to be able to celebrate the positive. That will come in time and ultimately be part of the healing. There's also no timetable as to when grief actually can hit us. When my friend died recently, my reactions of tears and feeling overcome was almost immediate when I heard the news. But I have a friend who told me that when her mother died, she did not feel the grief until a year later when she herself was scheduled for surgery. There also is no time frame as to when grieving stops. When I was a teacher before I became a therapist, a student said that his friends had told him it was unmanly to cry and that it was time he should get over the loss of a family member he was close to who had died within weeks or a month. I tried to reassure him that it was not unmanly at all to cry and that his wound was still understandably fresh. There's no accounting for who or what will be comforting to us. For example, I had a client, a teenage girl many years ago, who told me that there was an open casket at the funeral of her grandmother with whom she was close. Thinking of my own possible reaction with, with an open casket, uh, I said, it must have been very difficult for you. And she said, no, the opposite, saying, it gave me the chance to say goodbye. With my friend, getting to spend time with her sisters and daughters was what was comforting to me. And I think it helped them too. This is why bereavement therapy groups are sometimes helpful. The consolation of being with others, knowing one is not alone and that there are others who can identify and empathize with us and can feel some sense of purpose. We can feel it in doing the same, being there for them. Memorial services can also be helpful, especially if they're held sometime later after the worst shock of the grief has subsided a bit. The opportunity to celebrate the life of the person, what they meant to you and others, can be an early start to what Todd Rundgren, the musician, called the sweeter memories, the positive impact, not just the loss. When I worked with the woman who had lost a child sometime before becoming pregnant again, and she was doing better, I brought up whether we should end the treatment. She asked if she could stay through the anniversary of her previous loss, and of course, I said yes. She didn't need any more insight or advice. She needed a presence in her life who understood and who, unlike with her own family, she wasn't worried about hurting or bringing them down if she discussed her feelings. I'm happy to say that sometime after treatment did end, I received a lovely photo of the healthy and happy newborn. There's been a lot of talk in the field of psychotherapy about distinguishing grief from depression, that they're not the same. And 
It's very true that one can be deeply grieving without being depressed, but it's also very important to remember that one can experience both at the same time. Prolonged grief mixed with other risk factors can result in someone becoming depressed. And in that case, he or she needs to be evaluated by a psychiatrist or psychotherapist. And this brings us back to the time factor. There's no set length of time that grief can go on. But if it's impairing your life for a long period, then you and your therapist can decide together when it's time to take steps to first treat the symptoms of the depression, uh, the anxiety, the trauma, the wounding, and so forth, and then eventually get at the roots of the wound. Uh, the people we've loved and lost wanted us to remember and mourn them, of course. But they also wanted us to go on and have happy lives. Those who hurt us deeply and then we lost, forfeited the right to have that influence on our lives. They shouldn't be allowed to continue to wound us from the grave. Guilt can also be a big factor in not being able to move on from grief. Sometimes, all evidence to the contrary, people believe they could have changed a family member or friend, which we call codependency, Melody Beatty has that great book, Codependency No More, if you're interested in, in learning about the topic. And this guilt that we sometimes feel, that we, we should have been able to change that person and influence them, it's based on a false assumption, because we can't control or change people. They're going to do what they're going to do. We can hope to influence them. We can try to guide them, but in the end, it's going to be their decision what they do. And if we take on that responsibility, it, it can become a huge weight to carry. And then the person's death only cements that false narrative into place. And I think that's perhaps the most important way that therapy, psychotherapy, can help with grief and the process of grieving towards healing. Changing perspective is key. A good therapist can respectfully challenge the false assumptions, the misdirected blame, the undeserved responsibility, and also at the same time, help the patient towards the positive aspects of what's happened. That could be helping the person celebrate the healthy aspects of the person who was lost or the healthy aspects of the relationship it's like reminding people of what they know, but they are having such trouble getting in touch with. Or we can point out on how it's time to let go of blaming oneself if that relationship was not healthy. We discussed in the episode about being victimized by sexual abuse, how so many abusers select their targets not based on anything intrinsic about the victim, but about how available that person is to being victimized, the access, the proximity, the grooming, which is the preparation of that victim to be victimized. Yet so many victims continue to blame themselves, even after that person's death. Therapy can help remove the distorted thinking so real grieving can occur, real healing to follow.
The wound isn't getting constantly assaulted anymore by the negative thoughts, by the blame. And in, in many cases, the memories are only pleasant ones, not abusive ones. So we, we get people who come in and they say, no, you know, I have nothing but good memories about these people. And it hurts so badly because they obviously feel the loss of those wonderful experiences and, and what that person meant to them. But gradually, the person can learn to embrace and integrate the past into the present. Uh, our lives, our thoughts, our actions, a daily tribute to the loved one we lost. So it's integrating that past, not forgetting it. The goal is not to eliminate those memories or put them in a box or somehow, you know, not face them. It's to gradually strengthen that sense of self again so that it can focus on the positive, on what was so good about that person. So it, it sometimes also it can be an expression of how much we ache for the presence of that person, that we turn that event into something positive. We get involved in a cause. Uh, we see it very commonly uh, when parents turn a tragic loss into a cause, advocating for others to be saved after their child couldn't be. But it doesn't have to just be related to a tragedy. It can be part of the healing where we say, you know, this person was very much in favor of a particular cause or a particular uh, way of looking at things that we can now pick up that mantle and move forward with that. For some people, that is very healing. And in general, we can acknowledge and accept and integrate that loving presence that we had into our lives. So it isn't about pushing those things away, the good or the bad. It's about understanding them better. And it makes us stronger in future relationships. Because if we establish that same kind of support system we've talked about in the past of friends, family, professionals, like therapists, psychiatrists, right? Uh, whatever is needed, then we're less afraid to develop new relationships. Because we say, well, I, I know now, as painful as it was, that I could get through that grief. I remember telling a friend and colleague many years before my mother died that I thought that was the one thing I would never get over, that you know, my mother was still alive at that time, but I dreaded, I absolutely uh, feared so much that if I lost her, I, I didn't know what I would do. I didn't know how I would cope. And by the time it actually happened, and I did have uh, done my own work and I had put a support system in place, uh, look, it, it certainly wasn't easy. I would never say that uh, it wasn't painful, it wasn't hard. But it showed me that the positive memorializing of my mother, having time, I was fortunate enough to be able to be with her before 
her passing, not immediately at her passing, but we had time to talk about uh, our relationship and that she was at peace with things and she was glad to see my sisters and I supporting each other and being there for her and each other. So, you know, again, it, it was hard, but I realized that, you know, I could get through it and that I could then celebrate the wonderful relationship that we had, the, the hard relationship. It was not easy. It took a lot of work on both sides. And, and yet I'm very proud and very happy to have those memories now. That's the kind of healing that I would wish for everyone listening. And uh, the healing allows us to pursue other relationships knowing that it would be what our loved one would want for us. And not just relationships, but new goals, new aspects. We don't have to feel that we're betraying someone by not constantly being grieving or mourning, that they will always have a special place with us. But we know they would also want us to go on. And the relationships that we do form won't be a substitute or repeat for the person we've lost, that we know nothing can substitute for that person. But we can accept that new relationships will also bring joy. And we're prepared in case that day comes when there's some kind of loss. Not necessarily death, but as we said before, marriage can end, friendship can end. It can be very painful. But we know with the support of others, professional and personal, we can get through it. I welcome your comments and suggestions, and I'm so pleased to welcome so many new listeners who discovered the podcast by being recommended by Podbean for Mental Health Awareness Month. Very honored to be participating in that because awareness and understanding are the core reason this podcast exists, to demystify the process of therapy and some of these issues and begin a dialogue, and uh, this topic, by the way, was suggested by a listener. The next topic, anxiety, was also uh, suggested by listeners, and um, I invite you to absolutely reach out and make suggestions and offer critique, uh, positive or negative, and uh, I, I mean that. I, I want to hear from the listeners we have, because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring that awareness, not just this month, obviously, but but every month, every day. And uh, as I said, the next topic will be anxiety. I look forward to uh, speaking with you again, and I hope you'll you'll join me then. Thanks so much.